Welcome to Minor Dilemmas, relieving the roadblocks of parenting your teen. Joining us again is our host, Lauren Blackwolf. Welcome back, parents, caretakers, teachers, friends, and family. Hope you had a chance to take a break now that we're almost into our second month of the new year. This week, we're diving into the topic of depression in our teens. I just want to point out that there are different types of depression, one of which SAD, or Seasonal Affective Disorder, is pretty common this time of year. It can start in the fall, but really hits home during these months where the days are still pretty short. Seasons really can affect our moods, but if you're blessed with some sunny days out there, grab your coats and head outdoors for some time in the sun. It's said to really help people who struggle with this kind of depression. I wanted to go over some stats on what has been happening with a lot of kids in the last few years, especially since the pandemic. How depression is affecting them more and more every year is actually being scrutinized a lot more these days because of the rise in suicide. And in 2016, the National Survey of Children's Health reported that 3.2% of children between the ages of 3 to 17 had some kind of diagnosis that indicated they were suffering from depression. In 2017, the same organization reported 3.2 million teens between the ages of 12 to 17 had a major depressive episode. And in 2021, there was a 9.2% increase from 2020 in severe depression from the Mental Health of America. In one year, depression increased in our young people by 9.7%. The National Institute of Mental Health, or NIM, states that adolescents who identify as being non-binary, transgender, or genderqueer have the highest risks for depression. Included with that are teens who are of more than one ethnic, ethnic diversity. And yet other factors most parents are aware of, early childhood trauma, genetics, when depression is organic in nature like a chemical imbalance, poor sleep, chronic pain, anxiety, ADHD, or substance abuse, all these things factor into whether your teen may have an episode or two or long-term acute depression. One of the things I see in most parents is a need to identify the source and eliminate it so their teen can move on with their lives and pursue their dreams. Unfortunately, there's no quick fix. And if a young person is experiencing depression, it might not be from any particular source, but rather a lack of chemicals that aren't allowing the neurotransmitters in our kids' brains to communicate with each other effectively. If it's all organic in nature and there hasn't been any trauma, no gender identity issues, bullying, chronic health issues, etc., etc., when you can rule all that out, you might actually be blessed because a 100% organic cause for depression in your kiddo, which is not really common, would in fact be the easiest form of depression to treat relatively speaking. But if you're talking about trauma-induced, gender identities, health issues, substance abuse, or unhealthy family dynamics that over the course of their lives have impacted your kid's self-image or self-esteem, neglect or emotional, physical, you know, needs aren't being met, then this is not going to be a journey into medication and recovery. In cases where you have more external problems, you cannot look at helping your teen survive and thrive as something that is to be fixed. It's not a quick fix. It's going to be a journey of identifying all these factors, understanding and patience, taking the time to heal what needs to be healed and supporting your son or daughter through the process and helping them to manage their journey. By no means is this something that will be done overnight or even in six months. When your kiddo is suffering from being bullied or from substance abuse, childhood trauma, child abuse, or dare I say issues, you have carried into your parenting style from wounds you haven't healed, this isn't just something your son or daughter has to work through overnight. It becomes your task to work through your issues alongside them. 
It may require family healing as a whole. That's not a bad thing. Depression didn't just happen overnight. It creeps in with every hurt, every memory of an instance of violence, whether physical or psychological. It's actually a friend of mine who pointed out that violence is not solely physical. Violence can occur in the form of words. Now, I never really thought to think of violence in those terms, but it made a lot of sense. Words can be violent. Put-downs, judgments, accusations, overly critical commentary, and an effort to correct behaviors or attitudes. Imagine for a second being told every single day of your life, you need to straighten up. You need to adjust your attitude. If you would just, can't you just, I didn't raise you like this. You can't just do this. You can't just do that. Who do you think you are? Teenagers already have enough on their plates without the harm of a narcissistic or toxic parent who may induce even more onto their plates and in their daily lives. But let's not forget, as I pointed out in one of my first episodes, that what is going on internally in the developing brains of these kiddos is enough of a critical voice within themselves without our adding to that equation on an hourly basis. Does this mean we don't parent? No. Or, do, or guide our kids when we see them getting off track? Of course not. But it means speaking to our kids in a manner we would want to be spoken to. It means putting ourselves in their shoes. This is called compassion. It also means if we're going to set limits and boundaries, that we do so while also teaching coping skills. And what does that look like and why is it important? Your teen isn't exactly a fully cooked individual but they also aren't ready to be freed into society either. And when they're given boundaries, just like any other skill we possess and we learned, coping with letdowns, the answer no, and not taking these things personally is an actual skill they need to hone. If they don't, they could end up lacking the skills to deal with disappointment. They could buy into the false belief that the world is against them. They may adopt the mentality that nothing they think or want is important or that pleasing anyone or meeting any expectations that are placed on them might be an impossible feat to meet. This mentality can greatly impact our teen's ability in learning how to cope with all the trials in life they'll be facing. And whether it be from the loss of a friend, transitions in their circle of friends, grades not making that team, realizing their childhood is over, and figuring out what it is to be an adult, if you think about it, the task of growing up is daunting and overwhelming. So it's no wonder that the teen population is at the highest risk for depression. Add on any familial or personal strife and hurdles, we must remember, while they look grown, they're not. And they don't carry the experience or the adult, the adult mind that we do. Our expectations or our mindset, as parents, we got to consider, may be skewed or unhealthy as well. But we can't expect them to respond or react to how we think things should be if they don't have the experience. And again, they're not fully cooked. I recently watched a TED Talk on this very subject by Rosalind Kaiser. Uh, she's a PhD, and I'll add the link in the show notes. I highly recommend taking a gander at this video. She was asking what puts teens in, at a greater risk for depression and how we can lessen the impact depression has on our kids long term. What I took away from her was that teenagers are learning how to process the events that are happening in their lives with their newly developing brains that also carries all the trauma and or memories that they experienced in early childhood and may still be trying to put into context. Keeping in mind that their minds are just learning how to conceptualize information in a more in-depth and complex form, their own memories 
may take on new meaning or understanding. And whether something is true to you or not, or how you remember something, it serves no purpose to negate their experience. Doing so invalidates their feelings and eventually their self-esteem. It can lead to them questioning their own judgment if they are constantly being told what they should think or feel or how what they remember is incorrect. That is so frustrating for any individual on any level to be invalidated constantly. So how are we to support our kids if they're showing signs of depression, such as loss of interest in school, friends not spending a lot of time with their friends anymore, conflict within school or family, or their their known circle of friends fixating on past failures or being overly critical of themselves. There's a whole list of symptoms I could go into that also mimic the regular ups and downs of adolescence. But many times, until our kids have a critical episode that may include self-harm, we aren't going to know just how bad our loved one is feeling. Adolescents are frighteningly some of the best actors that everything is okay. If you're shocked by a depressive episode you didn't see coming, you must remain calm. You must take a breath. You are the adult. At this point, taking your son or daughter to a children's hospital to be evaluated or any ER, and then using the community mental health resources after they've been evaluated is a second step. But the most loving thing you as a parent can do is not to judge. Do not say things like, we'll fix this, because it implies your teen is somehow broken. They aren't broken. They're suffering and they need help. The best steps we can take to assist our kids through the journey of depression is to listen. Sometimes it might just be as simple as just sitting with them, just letting them know that you're there. We must listen to them and hear them, not correct them, not judge them, not tell them what we think is true or not true, but to start asking questions. When did X event happen? I'm so sorry you felt this way for so long. I'm here for you. Why don't we work on finding you someone you're comfortable talking to? Giving your son or daughter a say in which healthcare provider they end up going to talk to is huge. Right now, they may be feeling very out of control. So letting them choose their counselor, letting them have a say, gives them back a sense of control in a healthy way. They aren't little kids anymore. And we need to see our developing young ones as just that. Developing adults who need our guidance and love, not our criticism and judgment. I'm always going to remind you parents that these years really are the toughest years, so you must also make sure you're checking in with yourself, that you're finding support when you need it. It does no good to be running on empty. Finding a parenting group, talking to your friends or a counselor of your own, there's no shame in taking the steps you need or finding guidance when you need it. And that also is a reminder to your young one that when they're feeling like crap, when they're struggling with something, if you reach out and, and use the resources available to you, there is no shame in reaching out for help. There's no shame in finding support when you need it. That is a positive message to send to your young people and one that they should learn early, early, early in life. These people we brought into our worlds didn't come with manuals, but there is a whole lot of community out there to help you and your family, to be of support, to help you get through some of the toughest years for both you and your kids. So don't be shy. And I'll include some resources in the show notes, groups that I found that are online that can fit into your schedule. And please remember, there's always room for hope and healing, and it begins with us as parents. So I want to thank you so much for joining me here on Minor Dilemmas, and I hope to see you next time. Take care. <music>